Um, I'll start. If, if anyone was here for Sunday Schooler's sermon, any questions before we hop into a different topic? Any questions from this morning? Anybody want any clarification with anything? All right. We're going to, um, and if you have any, ask them, as even we'll have some other periods that um, do question and answer. Chris. Or, I know I asked this one just kind of offline, and we've uh-huh. been talking that for Sunday School, but I am curious um, some of the you know, struggles that mm-hmm. have been brought to light. I know you had the example this morning of the woman and of course broadly defining sexuality looking at how she was uh, kind of dodging some of that and mm-hmm. creating and then you had the example of the man and so forth. So I was curious as to just kind of counsel you can give in our increasingly corrupted sexually culture uh, for women and I think it's commonplace that men come into small groups and other settings and we sort of know that as fellow men that we're probably struggling with some of these issues pornography and whatnot or at least it's a temptation for us but as women are increasingly drawn into those activities in our our culture um, it may be almost more difficult for them to share in a group setting about those struggles because it's maybe not as common as men are yeah. Yeah. I'll say this, and the question um, being like for women who are maybe struggling with things that are more traditionally masculine issues like pornography, even sexual addiction, that type of thing, and that the percentages are rising in both cases where more men are being found out to be involved with pornography or sexual addiction, and I think the latest thing I heard was about 18-19% uh, of women or have some involvement with pornography. Oftentimes, their involvement, they're pulled in through chat rooms and relationship, where it's actually the other way around. Men often start with pornography and then move more into relational aspects of sexual addiction and sin. In terms of if a woman has that issue and kind of being able to address that in a Christian community, I think anything that we struggle with that is not yet something people feel comfortable talking about is a problem. I mean, it just is. And I think what we've got to be trying to do within our Christian communities is, and it's really two different sides of the same coin, we need to be able to talk as honest as necessary about where we're sinning, as much as we don't want to at all limit what God truth calls us to. That's the mixture of grace and truth. So I would just say that person, uh, my encouragement to that person would be it is probably going to be difficult to find that place. I would start with one or two friends that they felt some safety with to begin to discuss that issue. And then I would try to encourage them to see themselves as a little bit, I mean, this is an upside down way of thinking about it, but a little bit of a pioneer where they're creating safety within a community to deal with an issue that others may be struggling with on down the line. Um, That's how I would think about it. Um, anybody else? I want a little more dialogue. We're going to spend the, this session really talking about families and trying to raise children in terms of uh, purity and sexuality. And I just I want to know if there's any questions off the top of your mind that you would love for us to address. I'd love to be speaking to where you guys are at. Are there questions you have at all in terms of um, raising children and sexuality? Anybody? And I can kind of cover the broader themes, but I would just be curious. Any things you're wrestling with? I'll throw one out. 
Yeah. Uh, so I've got grown kids, but uh, grown kids are still trying to figure out what's going on through my life. Yeah. And um, the even though both my kids grew up in a Christian home, went to you know church and school and everything, um, they are um, caught up in the the struggle of homosexuality being something that seems to be now so. Um, accepted as an oppression in our, in our, in our environment. You know, that if you can't accept someone who is, who is having that challenge, then you're just crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, that is, you know, we had ended, ended up in discussions with our children and or our children's friends that are, you know, pretty tough for them to get their head around. Even if they clearly understand God's word, obviously there's, there's churches that, you know, feel that that way too. So that would be one thing. Maybe this is you're going to cover it in the discussion. But yeah. that's one that I think we, we struggle with trying to explain what to say. In terms of how to maybe talk with, love someone who's dealing with that, or just how to deal with the issue in general. Yeah, how to yeah. deal with the issue in general, and how to um, you know um, accept the fact that people can have their own opinion. Right. But just because somebody has an opinion doesn't mean it's right. For me, mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily have to accept their opinion. Yeah, yeah. Right now, you know? So I mean, it's pretty obvious in the political community. I mean, it's it's all over. But and I think kids, even when they're brought up in a in a strong fundamental Christian home, are affected by obviously the community at large. Yeah. 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 All right. Anybody else? And we're going to come back to anyone else. Okay. Let me do this. I'm going to speak a little to that first and then hopefully maybe weave in some other thoughts as we go through the other principles. Um, but it applies a little bit because one of the first things I'm going to start talking about is, is parents, if you're not being thoughtful about your own sexuality, if you're not learning to talk about even your sexual relationship as a husband and wife, if you're not creating a safety where you can talk about difficult things, then it's going to be hard for your children to follow uh, and do that same thing themselves, okay? So if we're talking about an issue like homosexuality, I think whereas Christians, I think where we get off most, off base, is, um, and, and this issue, sometimes I think Christians are rightly um, talked about for being self-righteous or hard. We can talk about what's right or wrong in a very self-righteous way. So I always think of Galatians 6 where, and I memorized this in the King James like 40 years ago, but um, if anyone among you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We have to remember that, and, and I think this is important whether we're talking about homosexuality or sexuality with your children, the evil one pursues us and we get caught in a trap. When it says, if anyone among you is caught in any trespass, I think in the NIV it says overtaken by sin, we can actually get caught in a trap that's, that's really orchestrated by evil and it overtakes us and it overcomes us and we can be lost in that and not see what's going on. The, Homosexuality, in terms of its development, often, like our, our sin nature is alive when we're born. As believers, we believe we can be born off the mark, heading in wrong directions. Whether that's our sexuality or greediness or 
like just my level of wanting to be super in control, I think, grew out of a lot of covetousness. That was coming out of me way before I knew it was an issue. So at 13, 14, 15, I felt like I was just a driven, hardworking person. I didn't see how much of that was fostered by covetousness that really drove me to get everything in control. Well, someone who's dealing with homosexuality, oftentimes we don't retain much memory before the age of six. So it is something many of them have, that's all they've ever known in terms of the longings inside them. So you have to think about how do I talk with someone that's overtaken by sin or caught in a trap? And we do that with gentleness, each one looking to ourselves, realizing that we have our own brokenness. And where that fits into our larger discussion today as parents, if you're not learning as a husband and wife how to talk about your own brokenness in ways that are truthful and graceful at the same time, then your children are not going to get absorbed into that atmosphere. All right? You can turn to um, page 7 if you have a little booklet. The hardest thing about sexuality is that it's hard to talk about, so we don't do it. Okay? I've been, I was asked to teach a sexuality course at Beeson next spring, and so I started preparing for it, and um, Covenant Church had me teach, we'll have a park, Redeemer. I've been teaching a number of churches, and I have found this to be the most difficult thing that I have taught, and I think it's an area where the evil one really tends to own it in our culture and we need to push through and create some freedom where we are really talking about it in grace and truth. So I think the first thing I have down there is as a parent, you have to be moving in the direction of life-giving sexuality yourself. And if you're not yet parents, you have opportunity right now to practice and begin moving towards that. Okay? So I just had some questions there. What things did you learn about sex growing up? How did you learn that? Have you come to peace with your sexual past? And this would be something as a couple, oftentimes when we first meet and we're dating, we talk about some of these things or engagement, and now it can be five, eight, ten years later, and you could talk about them much differently if you talked about them now. Okay? It could be something to be revisited and move into things you learned that were false or not good or ways that it even hinders you now, you could begin to talk about that as a couple in a way where you could move further past it. And that's creating some freedom within your family environment. All right? Um, Do you believe you're a primary conduit of good information for your child to develop a healthy sense of sexuality and sex? This is how many parents think about talking about sex with their kids. Like this. And if you're doing that, where are they going to get their information from? Okay? And it's a little surprising. I may or I don't know how many stories I'll tell, but this was my middle daughter who, um, all right, our oldest daughter had no real desire to date or anything. This is in, they went to the homewood schools, and so kids start dating around 7th and 8th grade. And this was my oldest daughter's observation. Why would I date someone? I watched my friends begin to develop a relationship with a guy. They stop dating, and they start dating, and they actually stop talking, and then they end up not being friends. Like, why would I want to do that? And I thought, okay, we're following you. (laughs) And she was that way. She dated a little bit as a senior, kind of got, went out on one date. The guy was going to ask her out on the second one, and she thought, why do I want to start dating someone when I'm leaving for college in six months? This doesn't make sense. Okay? That's my firstborn. My secondborn. Um, was asked to go to the um, 
homecoming dance. She's a freshman. She goes to that. Well, actually, what they did first was she, this guy asked her homecoming dance and she didn't know that well. And he wasn't part of their friend group. And she had met him in the band. So um, she wanted to go on a little, like, go out and get some pizza before the homecoming dance. So she got to knew, know him a little bit before. The, and I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So they go out for some pizza. We drop them off and tell them, you know, when you're done, about 730, give me a call or 7 or something. I forget. And we were over at friend's house, and I looked at my watch, and it was like after 7, and I texted her and said, hey, where are you? And she said, we're just walking around Homewood. I said, uh, where? I'm, I'm on my way. And like, I freak out, and I go, you know. And they get in the car, and I realized, like, I overreacted, and I didn't even know what to say, and I thought, all right, who's 13 in this car? Is it me or is it them? Okay. There's just a difficulty of talking about sexual things. And then they came back, so I was like, well, to the fellow, I was like, do you want to come over? Because I, I was like only 7.15, you know? So he comes over, and then they go into my daughter's room, and they shut the door. We hadn't, we were not prepared to, like our rule was you couldn't really date to a junior, okay? And so then, but they're freshmen, and this was just a little, I mean, it wasn't dating, it was a date. And so then I, they close the door, and I go back in our bedroom, and my wife freaks out. And she's like, you got to go open that door. So we're talking about this, and we open the door, and blah, blah, blah. Long story short... About two weeks after that, my middle daughter texts us and says, guess what? And I was like, what? She says, I've got a boyfriend. And I'm like, she is so different than our firstborn. Like, we were off communicating to her because our firstborn led us in a totally different direction. Okay. So that middle one, um, this is that same little boy after about, they think they dated for like three months and then stopped. But um, this is one time I'm picking them up at... Uh, his house and she comes out and she gets in the car I said well how did it go and she goes I got my first kiss and I said well how was that and she said I can't lie it felt really good alright which I actually thought was really really good I thought if my daughter's talking to me about this I can't be that afraid of it alright um, so that's all under the banner of creating a relationship with your child where they're talking to you about their sexuality, we realized with our second born, we had to get in there more and work more. And I think she was much more tempted in that area than our first born. Okay? Um, so you want to be the, a primary conduit of information, meaning you're having to pay attention to your children and grow a relationship where they feel some freedom talking about their sexuality. If you have younger children right now, okay, and they do something wrong, they make a mistake and your tendency is to freak out, you're not going to create an environment where they feel comfortable talking about what's going on with them. Right now, if your kids are younger, you have to realize we have to pay attention to much smaller things and let them be big so that when the bigger things are there, there's some freedom to talk about that. Okay? All right. Um, I have some other questions here. I would just encourage you to, uh, if you're parents and you're wanting to grow some freedom to create a different environment. You have to be thoughtful about your own life. I would highly recommend this book. I'll pass it around. This is Sharon Hirsch. Mom, sex is no big deal. She's talking about the mother-daughter relationship. I read this about two weeks ago. And I had a, I was a dad raising daughters. And I still got a lot out of it. I think if you even had boys, you just have to think about how would I apply this to boys. But she really, really gives some very good practical advice and categories. I just thought I would pass it around for those of you who might be interested. Okay? So, 
I've already said a lot about the first point. So let me just review it. You want to create an environment where sexuality is a normal part of the conversation. If you do not develop a relationship with your child in regards to their sexuality, then what they learn will most likely come from their friends in the culture. Listen to this uh, quote. 88% of teens aged 12 to 19 said they would find it easier to postpone sexual activity if conversations with their parents about sex were more open and honest. I believe one of the greatest barriers to the work of evil is an ongoing relationship with your parent where what's going on is actually talked about. But I also believe it's a more significant barrier when your children are wanting to talk about it and are helping create some of those conversations. If you try to make your child talk about it and you're on top of them that way, at least one of your children, depending on their personality, will back away. So it has to be a growing reciprocal relationship where that's something that they want to talk about. All right? So I want to move down to the two indented paragraphs. I say this, deeply desire and pray that your children aim for and grow sexual holiness, but you nurture this best by creating an environment where they can talk about sexual brokenness and sin on the way to sexual wholeness. What I'm saying is I really, really, really want you to desire that your children would grow sexual holiness and have a real level of purity in their life. But because we all experience sexual brokenness, they're most likely, whether it's a son encountering masturbation or a daughter maybe um, experiencing some inappropriate relating pressure from a guy, they're going to experience some sexual brokenness. And so you want to create an environment where they can talk about that. And just remember, if you as a husband and wife are not learning how to talk about your own sexual brokenness, and that doesn't mean just the bedroom if you heard some of what I said this morning like just where you're relationally not connecting and not growing intimacy that's part of your sexuality you need to be having conversations where you're uncovering painful things and moving towards something better where brokenness is just something you can talk about alright let's move down if by God's grace your sexuality and sex life as a parent is refreshing and notice I say refreshing not perfect And moving towards something better, you would teach your children in three ways. Now, here's what I'm saying by this. If you have, in your own married life, grown the space to talk about what's painful, what's beautiful, you can celebrate beautiful moments, you can sorrow um, sad moments, but the gospel is just seemingly alive in your relationship. Your relationship is not perfect, but you're growing. Okay? Or... um, Oh, and if it's moving towards something better, when I when I talk about marital sex uh, in the second part of tonight, what I'm going to say is every marital relationship has sexual problems. There's no perfection. Okay, so I don't want you to think you've got to perfectly be talking about things and have this sexual life that no one has for your kids to follow in that. But if you're growing together in your conversations, if your sexual life is becoming more redemptive then what's happened is you have been changed by the gospel and you will teach your children all three ways. Here's how we teach. Auditory, we talk to them. Kinesthetic, we relate to them. Visual, they watch us. 
Christian parents traditionally have been very good at teaching their children auditory. Yes, no, do this, do that. And they haven't paid as much attention to how the gospel is really working in their life. And so the children see, um, they're being told, refrain from sex, don't have it until you're married, because it'll be much better. And then they see two parents who weren't affectionate who don't have broken hearts towards one another. And they're being told one thing and visually seeing another. Okay? And then if you're really growing together in your marriage and softening, then the way you relate to your children is much different. I've tried to talk a lot about how growing intimacy is gendered sexuality, is the way we relate sexually as a man or a woman, whether it's uh, whoever it's with, a friend, a spouse. Now, a spouse carries a different connotation, but we can be relating and growing intimacy with a lot of different people that's giving us life. If you're doing that with your children, you're really teaching them about their sexuality. I'll give, try to give you an illustration of this. Um, there's three imperative commands to parents and children in the New Testament. One of those is children obey your parents. The other two are fathers don't exasperate your children and don't make your children angry by the way you uh, relate to them. So I'm going to summarize for you New Testament imperative commands. There's only three commands that tell you what to do as parent and children. The first is to children, obey your parents. You've got two big people who care about you. Sometimes they may not look like it. You've got to follow them. You've got to listen to them. You've got to learn from them. You've got to keep growing into whatever they're telling you to do and follow them. They have your best interests at heart. To dads, it says, your tendency is to not realize how much you can impact your children in their relationship. You need to think about the way you relate to your children and be open to the gospel speaking into you as a dad so that you grow more redemptive or later. It says nothing actually to moms. And here's, so here's the New Testament advice to moms. You're going to be way too worried about raising your children to begin with. We're not going to tell you to do anything. Just relax a little bit. Okay? <laughs> so, how did I teach my daughter, daughters about sexuality, honoring that principle about dads tend to not be thoughtful about the relationship. I don't, you guys may or may not be like me. A lot of dads like to be like a knight in shining armor. They're not involved and then they come in with involvement that's not really good and it makes everyone a little afraid or frustrated or something like that. And I had to grow into being more involved and tender. Right? But I kept trying to teach my daughters if, if, when they were younger, if I was mean and angry, that, to separate that that anger um, was wrong and sinful, and that they're not to take that on themselves. Okay? So now this is my oldest daughter. She's about 17, and I would say, because the Lord worked and grew inside of me, I really couldn't have remembered another time in her adolescence where I was just angry and not being a good man. I was just, I had a hard day, and I was really taking my anger out on her. It's the only time I could remember I did that is in her teenage years. And I was telling her to do something, and I can't even remember what it was. I was just out of line. And she wouldn't do it. She didn't talk back to me. She didn't say anything. She looked me right in the eye and didn't budge. And then I just kind of gave up. I didn't have the humility in that moment to say to Amy, um, this is what I said to her the next day. I didn't have a moment to, I didn't have the humility to say it in that moment. The next day I went to her and I said, sweetheart, I'm so proud of you. When dad was totally out of line, being really mean to you, you looked at me and here's what you said. Dad, I will not let you get away with being less of a man. I'm not going to do what you said, but I'm not going to answer evil with evil. 
And I believe because I was teaching them how to have strength with me and not to take on my stuff on them, that my daughter grew up with some feminine strength where she was able to stand up to her dad who was bigger than her. And y'all, I want my daughters to be able to have a hard conversation with someone who's bigger than them. Because that happens in marriage. Okay? That's where I believe kinesthetically, the way I was relating to my daughter, I was actually teaching her about sexuality. Does that make any sense? Okay? So we teach auditory, we teach kinesthetic, and we teach visual. I would just say, if you're seeking the kingdom in your marriage and you're growing the gospel, you're going to be teaching all three ways. Um, turn the page. I have a passage here from Second Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I just I want you to believe that you are raising covenant children and if Christ is in them, I don't want you to think you have to teach them everything and talk to them about everything. You want to have a relationship with them where you can talk about their sexuality, but you are not going to be good enough to stay on top of everything. And what I want you to believe is that the Christ is in them, and you've created an atmosphere in general, not perfectly, where grace and truth is working, then the Holy Spirit will pull things out of them and guide them in ways. And then you also have, usually, a church community that participates with you. I just... At the end of talking about developing a conversation with your parents, I don't want you carrying all the weight that you've got to cover everything, because that would be crazy. Okay? All right. Let's move to the second point. Help your children say no to sexual sin and yes to gender sexual relating. Two passages I have there. It says this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I've said a lot about this. If all you're going to do is to make sure your children stay pure until marriage and it's all about not doing anything in terms of the sexual acts and you're not teaching them how to pursue what's good relationally you're not going to grow sexually vibrant children who have the power to say no if you are children just like as an adult in a married relationship if they're not um, meeting their longings in the way they relate in the way they live the world if they're not moving out in good directions and you can try to get them to say no all they want, and it's still going to be hard for them to stand up to temptation because they don't have the buoyancy of the gospel living inside them because you're not teaching them how to live better. I'll give you, this may or may not be a good example, um, but again, it has more to do with gendered relating. My middle, who's very, very soft, okay, and really can identify with anybody, has a lot of mercy. We saw her regularly getting taken advantage of in some relationship. And oftentimes what Christian parents do is you just got to be nice and keep coming through for the people. And we helped her stand up and set some boundaries and relate very differently. And over time, she saw where she began to get more respect. This same daughter who um, 
she had two different jobs in high school, and when it came time to leaving those jobs, she was so afraid to tell these bosses that she was going to leave that she hates to let people down. And I was like, sweetie, sweetie, you've been a great employee. Like, they will be sad to leave you, but <laughs> I know what they go through hiring teenagers. Like, you can say no to them. But we had to all along the way help be involved with her where she had more boundaries and more strength. If we didn't do that and she was regularly getting taken advantage of the relationships, what would have happened when she ended up in a dating relationship? Okay? So we've got to be teaching them what to do, not just to say no. Now, I really do believe in helping your children to say no. And so they will need means of grace, things that help them to say no and to do what's right. I, um, as you're raising kids in today's culture, you're definitely going to have to be thoughtful about Internet access. All right? As a means to grace, what we had in our house was covenant eyes. That's something that can go on all the devices that report at what's been watched. It doesn't block children from getting in. They could actually get into something, but you get a report, a weekly report. What happened was we had a daughter who came home and Googled a sexual term that she didn't know what it meant. And that came up. And that helped us to have a conversation with her. And that began, actually, because that was as young as like fourth or fifth grade. And that began the conversation. But that's a means of grace for them to know that there's someone watching. It helps them to want to say no. Um, There's other things in our culture that you... Like, I think there's there's a tool that's called, like, Zavra that you can... It monitors, like, Twitter and Facebook. And it can actually... Somehow it has some technological algorithm or something that it can figure out if they're getting pursued by like a predator or something. So there's just things out there. I would encourage you, you're going to have to be aware um, as you have kids and they have access, how to help them say no to something that could be very dangerous. All right. I have some pretty disturbing um, statistics there. I hate to give statistics that create fear because I don't want you to parent out of fear, but it's pretty sobering. I would encourage you just to read through them. Okay. Um, where I, in the rest of this section, I just talk about helping your children growing masculinity and femininity. But you can look at that um, and read through it. I've talked enough about it. I want to go to the last point on um, page eight. And that's in bold on page eight. Help them connect with and appreciate why reserving sex for marriage matters. And you guys, if you're married, I'm just assuming if you're married and and, um, by God's grace were able to get married as a virgin, I'm assuming you learned that that didn't mean you had a perfect sexual relationship, right? But I also believe there's things you really learned through your endurance that have really mattered in your marriage. Does that make sense? Okay. I believe to, I tried to talk about it earlier this morning, I believe to grow into sexual wholeness and holiness it takes a real work of the spirit to fully be a person who relates really well as a man or a woman and then doesn't act out sexually or as they act out sexually in maybe small ways or other ways that they're confessing and talking about it and really growing into sexual holiness I believe that takes a lot of work in the spirit that teaches you a lot that actually would help you do marriage one of the things I've said to simple way to premarital couples I'll say this I'll say do you want to be lifelong friends? Like, is that what you want, a lifelong friend? I'll tell you, this is why Jesus says no premarital sex. 
He's saying, I'm going to get you started at the very thing that will help you develop a lifelong friendship. You have to say no to immediate gratification. You have to honor God above some of your own broken passion and choose someone and the good of what God's telling you, even though you feel like you don't want to. And you need all the practice in the world before you get married, because once you do get married, it's really hard to keep considering someone is more important than yourself, right? But you want to think about what is it as a child waits to have sex before marriage? What are they learning and how are they growing in a way that really, really matters, all right? I just have a couple points there. Talk about counting the cost. We are so determined to find pleasure, we don't know how to count the cost. When discussing the difficulty of being a disciple, Jesus said, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Our fear of the future and and powerlessness is covered or suppressed by sin. The more honest we are about difficulty, the stronger our inner nature becomes. Let me try to flesh that out, okay? We tend to, unfortunately in our culture, use our Christianity in a very secular way. God is there to make us happy and to give us the best life now, okay? We don't really want to be honest about the difficulty, right? Counting the cost is looking ahead at whatever you're going to do and seeing the difficulty on the front end and being honest about that. Let's say I'm working with a couple that, and I've, I've run into this a bunch of times, that, that has to move. And the move is clearly a gift from God. Let's say it's an upward move in terms of responsibility and calling and finances. And there's no doubt that God's saying move. And yet the couple's having some disagreement and they're having some pain and they think, maybe God's not calling us to move. And I'll say, no, it's clear that you're going to move. The issues are the implications of that decision. You think if God's telling you to move, then it's all going to be good. And how could there be some difficulty in where you're moving to? The reality is, guys, we're in a broken world. And beautiful things, even like marriage, are full of pain. And if we don't talk about them a little bit on the front end, right, then we're not counting the cost. I believe so many kids are getting pulled in to sex before marriage simply because they're covering over future pain because they don't want to look at it. And it's a way to soothe it. It says, I have a passage there in Romans 1.18, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Guys, sin and the pleasure of sin is a way that we can push the truth away from us. Another passage I have there is 1 Peter 4. It simply says this. If you become willing to suffer for Christ, you've decided to stop sinning and you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. Think about that. Just saying, Jesus, I'm willing to suffer into the difficulty of this world. Jesus, I want to follow you not so that I have a good life, but so that I have a faithful life. And as I'm faithful to you, you bring me life that's much richer than the prayer of Jabez. If we were walking with our children that way, and let me just tell you, that starts at a young age. I mean, I don't know why this example comes to mind, but I can remember when we would take our children. A lot of times we would do things as a family, so we might be picking up a daughter at a birthday party. And we would show up just picking up a daughter, and they would see our other two girls and be like, oh, they have to get the, the goodie bags too. And I'm like, no, they don't have to get the goodie bags. They really don't. 
Like we can let them do some pain. The more we're doing that and they're learning from that, then they're beginning, they're beginning to get an understanding why waiting really matters. Okay? Um, the second thing I have down there in terms of counting the cost is understanding. What I want you to imagine, all right, I'll just flesh this out. You're walking with your children and you have a level of involvement with them, even third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, where you know their friends, you know a little bit about their relationships, and you're helping, they're, they're talking about this one friend that they have submissions with, and you counsel them and encourage them, and they learn about that friend, and that relationship two years later is stronger and richer, and you're helping them realize how much they understood by staying at that relationship and growing, okay? Oftentimes, we don't understand how much we can grow relationally. And oftentimes, when we're dating, we just want to find the right person. If we find the right person, we'll be happy. We're not being thoughtful about an understanding and God working. My oldest is dating, and I had to have a really hard conversation with her that I thought she was not being as honest with herself about what was really going on with her boyfriend. I really like him. He's a really good guy. But I felt like she was really pretending about some things. And it was a hard conversation. And about two days later, like the Holy Spirit gave my daughter some awareness and she thanked me. And said, Dad, I, I see now what you were saying. Because I want her learning about how they're relating now. not ten, I don't want them waking up ten years from now. Okay? But sex, as we move into that, or even sexual activity, it tends to deaden the understanding that you could grow relationally. All right? Now, last, I think I have one other point there. Um, protection. I'm just going to read this paragraph. All right? Let me preface it by saying this to each of you. Each of you, you guys, your life is a poem. It's a story. Something about you and how God works you through you says something really unique about the Lord. The more you are redeemed, the more the gospel is working inside of you and you're softening and you're increasing in relationship with the Lord, the more you get a sense of the story he's telling for your life. Okay? This is, uh, let me read this paragraph. I say this. God is telling a story through our life. You need connection with him and others to understand this story and to become versed in living it out. When you have sex outside the context of marriage, it opens a window for the evil one to heap condemnation on you. And this significantly interrupts the development of your redemptive narrative as it cuts you off from God and others. Once sex enters a relationship outside of marriage, the relationship becomes a more self-absorbed narrative that cuts you off from the story of God, the story God is telling through your life. Does that make any sense? Sex outside the con- context of marriage is a way of shutting us down or increasing our shame. And we actually turn away a little bit from the Lord inside and the beauty that he's building in our life and the story that he's telling through us. We're not as aware of that. We're not as alert to that. All right? And this was all under the banner of this. As you're raising kids, if you want them to wait to have sex before they're married, simply saying not to do it, I don't believe is powerful enough. You have to be demonstrating in your own marriage why it's good to wait and then teaching them about relationship and the value of waiting and all that that means so that they have the power to say no. You still have means of protection. Like, uh, we want to talk with our daughters. One of the um, 
a means of grace is to talk about some boundaries and some things. And if we talk about them, that gives them an extra strength to stand and do what's good. That's a simple means of grace, those type of things. All right, let's pray. Lord, I don't know um, where each of these people are with children and family development. Um, But Lord, I simply pray this, that whatever we've talked about, whether it's grandchildren or children in the future, even children now, that you would use some of what I've said to increase a level of sensitivity to what you're doing in the children around them. And that what we visually showed them, how we related to them, and what we talked to them about would help them in their sexuality to know how to become more intimate with others in beautiful ways. And also that it would create in them a longing and a desire to say no because of the value and how they're connected with what no really means, Lord God. We just pray that we would be people that would help those under our care move in that direction. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.